Hello and welcome to this Alan Overy podcast on the restructuring of the Home Group. This is a landmark case for cross-border restructuring, including the first ever parallel use of the Dutch Woer and an English scheme of arrangement. My name is Ella Richards, an associate in Alan Overy's global restructuring team, and I'm going to be speaking with Sigrid Janssen, the co-head of Alan Overy's global restructuring practice and partner in our Amsterdam office, and Nick Charwood, a partner in our London office. So, Secret, can you start off by giving us some background on the Vroom Group? Sure, Ella. The Vroom Group is a Dutch headquartered shipping company. And you know, first got involved with the group late 2016 to look into possible restructuring options. At a high level, we were able to get a unilateral standstill in place by the end of 2016 and implement an initial restructuring in 2018. By the summer of 2020, however, it became apparent that the group was still in financial difficulty and would require further restructuring. By this point, the group had already been able to reduce its debt from around 1.5 billion to 900 million, but it still had a complex capital structure with 15 lenders over 35 different facilities with different security packages over a fleet of over 100 vessels sailing all around the world. Okay, thanks Sigrid. Turning to you, Nick, how did you come to get involved and could you explain a little bit about the commercial deal that underpinned this restructuring? Thanks, Ella. Sigrid got me involved in the late summer of 2022. The deal was emerging involving the group's debt being restructured in part by way of a debt for equity swap, partly through a consolidation of the bilateral facilities, and finally by deleveraging the group by selling approximately a third of the fleet in a controlled manner. However, some lenders were starting to take enforcement action and the shareholders had already indicated disagreement with that deal. Thanks, Nick. That background is a really helpful place to start. Sigrid, there's been a lot of talk about how the phone restructuring was the first ever use of a parallel Dutch woa and an English scheme of arrangement. Please could you tell us a little bit more about that and why it matters? Of course. Given that the Vroon Group is founded in the Netherlands and half of the group is still located in the Netherlands, we first looked at the possibilities to restructure here. The WOAR Dutch plan allows debtors and creditors to negotiate and implement a restructuring without 100% consent. In particular, the WOAR includes the ability to force a debt for equity swap on a dissenting shareholder. It provides for cross-class cram down of dissenting creditors or shareholders and it allows for a court-ordered stay on enforcement. That being said, a lot of the debt was English law-governed, meaning that because of the ruling Gibbs, we couldn't effectively compromise it via the Dutch restructuring process, so we would need an English process as well. With the growth of new restructuring tools across Europe in the last few years, the coupling of the Dutch WOA and English scheme offers a blueprint for implementing European restructurings. For example, we are already discussing with our German colleagues how a similar structure could be used with a German Starbuck and an English scheme. Thank you. Before we move on to discussing the WOA and the scheme themselves, Nick, please could you explain why the English scheme was chosen to pair with the WOA to implement the debt aspects of this restructuring, rather than, for example, an English restructuring plan? Sure. Here, the key issue is recognition. The Royal Group is an international business with English law debt, but the majority of its assets are in jurisdictions such as the Netherlands, Scotland and Singapore. The English restructuring plan is a powerful restructuring tool, which includes the ability to cram down across classes in certain scenarios. But the majority view in many jurisdictions, including the Netherlands, is that restructuring plans, unlike English schemes, 
are likely to constitute insolvency proceedings. In the case of Rhone, this would have meant a significant risk that any restructuring plan could not affect the ability of creditors to seek recourse for their original claims against the debtor's assets in the Netherlands, essentially undermining the purpose of the plan. Got it. Before we turn to the English scheme, I was wondering if you, Sigrid, could take us through some of the key takeaways from the Dutch Roa. Absolutely. One of the really interesting points for me is the reuse of the group-wide global moratorium. To start with, it is good to note that this is not an automatic stay, but a stay that we needed to apply for. That moratorium was crucial for the success of the restructuring, given that some lenders started bilateral enforcement action in the summer of 2022, the global stay was necessary to give breathing space to negotiate and implement a deal. Initially, there were of course some concerns about the international effectiveness of the moratorium, but it soon became evident that the lenders respected the authority of the Dutch court and did not want to be in breach of its direct order. Another key takeaway was the use of additional interim measures granted by the Dutch court to prevent the shareholders from undermining the restructuring process. For example, the court stopped the shareholders from exercising their voting rights in a way that was detrimental to the interests of the creditors and the group. Again, allowing breathing space in support of the restructuring efforts. Thanks, Sigrid. Nick, turning to the English process, could you take us through some of the key learning points from the English scheme itself? Sure. For me, the case underlines the flexibility of the scheme process and the central importance of the English court's discretion. The court's approach to class composition in the scheme is a really good example. Here, the court was willing to take a pragmatic approach in the face of an unusually complex financing structure. In contrast to schemes that deal with bonds or syndicated bank debt, in the Vron case, scheme claims were held by lenders across 23 facilities with different security packages in respect of 79 vessels in aggregate, different types and values, each of whom would be treated in one of two ways under the scheme, depending on whether the relevant vessel was to be retained or sold. The scheme company proposed two classes, one in respect to creditors whose investors would be retained by the group, and one in respect to creditors whose investors would be sold by the group. In approving the proposed classes, the English court found that it would not be appropriate to fragment groups according to the value of their existing security, because then there would be no classes at all, just a list of individual creditors, and in effect, defeating the purpose of the scheme. Thanks, Nick. One of the points that's been most reported was the shareholder challenge, both in the English court and the Dutch court. What were the key takeaways from how the English court dealt with that challenge? It's a good question. I think it brings us back to the English court's flexible and practical approach. To give a brief summary, the shareholders were challenging the scheme company's evidence as to what would happen if the restructuring were to fail. And they were claiming that they would recover significantly more in what they argued was the real comparative to the scheme. In sanctioning the scheme, Mr. Justice Leach found in the company's favour on the comparator, but he also stated that he would still have sanctioned the scheme, even if there had been significant doubt as to the comparator. This is because it is not, quote, a legitimate or sensible use of the court's powers to force the parties to enter into further negotiations. The function of the court is to assess the scheme on the merits. That's interesting, Nick. From a foreign law perspective, I found the English court's approach to the shareholder challenge fascinating. To be honest, we did not expect the English court to be so open to its arguments given that the equity aspect of the restructuring was dealt with in the Netherlands, and the English scheme merely implemented the debt restructuring. So for my part, one of the key takeaways was the care a challenger needs to take if they do want to challenge in two courts. 
You're right, Sigrid. And I think there are two points there. Firstly, the Vron scheme showed that the English court would be wary of allowing parties to re-litigate points that have been decided elsewhere. The court found that the shareholders were attempting to re-argue valuation issues that they had already argued in the Dutch court. And if the Dutch court had decided against them prior to the English sanction hearing, Mr Justice Leach would have refused the shareholders the opportunity to challenge the scheme company's evidence, even though the sanction test in the Dutch WOA is not precisely the same as the test in an English scheme. Secondly, parties participating in cross-border cases need to be conscious that their submissions to the court in one jurisdiction will very likely come before the court in the other. The shareholders were found to have made submissions in the Dutch court that bankruptcy would be virtually inevitable if the WOA court rejected the WOA plan, an argument that ran directly contrary to their position in the English court. Thanks both. And maybe looking at this from another angle, if you were to run the case again, how would you do it differently to better manage that shareholder challenge? Sigrid? Yeah, hindsight is a wonderful thing. And the reality is you can never run a complex restructuring in a perfect manner precisely because of its complexity and the time pressure. If we had had more time, we could have staggered the English and Dutch processes rather than run them in complete parallel. I think it would have made them easier to manage and it would also have made the process clearer for each court. I agree, although it's worth remembering that this was all approved in a very short time frame, with the judgments handed down within an hour of each other. As an English law practitioner, I was impressed by how pragmatic, commercial and fast the Dutch judges were. Thank you both. The Vrijn Group restructuring was clearly very complex and a huge achievement for you, the company, lenders and other advisors to get over the line. And thank you too for listening. If you'd like to know more, please feel free to contact us using the details accompanying this podcast.